I'm Damian Bulwa, Metro Editor at the San Francisco Chronicle. Today on Fifth and Mission, the SF Homeless Project. The project is a media collaboration exploring causes and solutions to the problem. All of our coverage, including information on panels and public events we're hosting, and extensive Q&As on homelessness, can be found at sfchronicle.com homelessness. Today's podcast episode features photographers Gabrielle Lurie and Jessica Christian. They were part of a story called 24 Hours of Homelessness, in which 36 journalists took to the streets to capture a typical day in the city's crisis. Photographers Gabrielle Lurie and Jessica Christian, right after this. Welcome back to Fifth and Mission. Here's Chronicle photographer Gabrielle Lurie. Jessica Christian, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Tell me a little bit about your process in photographing 24 hours of homelessness for our homelessness project. Yeah, so for my part of the project, I was assigned to follow a homeless hardcore addict on the streets. Um, I was one of many different parts of the story. Um, So for my focus, the goal was to find someone that was homeless, addicted to drugs, down on their luck on the streets, kind of to just get that on the street vibe of what it's like to be out there for 24 full hours. Um, So the first part of that was finding a person to follow. Uh, I worked with reporter Kevin Fagan, who's been reporting on homelessness for over 30 years now. So we spent about two weeks before the project on the streets looking for people that might fit this criteria that was addicted on the streets, also reliable in a way that they would be where they said they'd be on the day of the project, which was kind of a challenge because you really can't feel people out in that way really early. Um, So we found this man named Alex. His nickname is Shorty because he has a rare bone disease that stunted his growth and he has no legs. So we found him on the Embarcadero through other people that were homeless, kind of asking around of just people that might be interesting to follow, had a great story. That was definitely the goal. He seemed to have a huge community of people around him that was supporting him because of his disabilities. He had a wheel, he was wheelchair bound and it was hard for him to push his own chair. So he had a lot of friends that would kind of dip in and out of his day to help him out, getting somewhere, getting food, going to the bathroom, charging his phone, which are all things that you wouldn't think about needing help if you weren't disabled, especially on the streets. So we spent about a week, about one to two hours a day just hanging out with him at his spot. He was always waking up in front of the 7-Eleven on Drum Street down in the Embarcadero area. So we knew that if he was there when we would get there in the morning, for a couple days we'd try and see if he would be in the same spot, and he was. That was a good sign to be like, okay, we'll know where to find you when the day happens. Follow him around with his day, also to just get around his friends and the people around him who were going to be there with him on the day that we planned on June 18th just so they had more of a sense of who we are, what we were doing, so they weren't worried about us. It was also for safety reasons. I didn't want to be kind of blindsided by a random person that wasn't aware of us with all my gear out there. Um, And then from there, it was kind of the mental prep of preparing to photograph for 24 straight hours. Yeah, that's really intense, 24 hours. So I went out and I also shot for about, about 18 hours with a little break in there. Um, But I think your planning really helped because um, I had a plan to photograph a family and at 7 a.m. that morning they fell through and so I had to scramble and find a new family. So that's kind of something that happens is that like it doesn't always work out the way you thought it would. So I think probably you spending so much time with him beforehand 
probably really helped cement like a relationship and a trust. Um, and so, yeah, my mine got canceled at seven, but you were out already shooting at what? 5 a.m.? We started at 4.30. 4.30 a.m. So what does it look like at 4.30 a.m.? So the other part of this was we had kind of a storyboard of what we assumed would be happening at those hours, depending on each person's narrative, since we had about 15 people out following different aspects. And the big issue I had was mentally kind of setting up a scene before it was there and relying too heavily on what we wanted to get and capture what we thought would happen because in reality all those things are never going to be what you think it is. We had worries like, oh, what if he's sick and doesn't want to spend 24 hours with us? Then what do we do? You know, everything could go wrong, but we had an idea that at 4:30 it would be the the power washing of the Embarcadero. So he, Shorty and his friends hang out right on the right on the little plaza area where there's palm trees on the Embarcadero in front of the ferry building. So the goal was to catch the power washers washing it down the area and then slowly people coming back in to sleep and to spend time on the Embarcadero throughout the morning, through the afternoon. The evening was more of like they thought that it would be like, okay, they're pushed out of the area, parks people come by and kick them out. And then at 4.30 the next morning, it's power washing again. So just this whole cycle. That was kind of our outline. When we got there, there's no one out. Because everyone's sleeping, everyone's kind of hiding in their own corners to not be messed with, to not have to cause any trouble, to not be wrestled up by the cops in the morning. So they try to do their best to stay, you know, away from the area at that point, especially because these people, most people on the Embarcadero are pretty, pretty much stay at the Embarcadero because of the reliability of safety of, you know, presence of other people. It's not a, you know, an alleyway where they could be, you know, robbed in the night. That was a big issue for people is while they sleep, they get robbed. And they said that that's very specific to San Francisco as well. And so what about you? Like, what do you at 430 in the morning? Everyone's trying to sleep. And here you are. You have to go start taking photos. Does it feel weird to you? Did you get heckled by anyone or did like having that relationship with him help so much that you could just dive right in? Yeah. In the beginning, I was more focused on just you know, focusing in on Shorty himself. Um, there was a lot of talk of getting other color, get photos of homeless people like wandering around, which I mean, didn't happen the way that they thought it would. And I also wasn't comfortable doing that without having a relationship with the people. If I was talking to them, if they were sleeping, I wasn't photographing them because they weren't aware of me and I didn't want to exploit that. So we went straight to where Shorty sleeps. And for some reason he was up with a friend just hanging out, listening to music on his phone a block away from his sleeping spot, which was lucky because we thought, okay, we're going to show up at 4.30 or 5 and he's going to be asleep for four hours. What do we do then? You know, you don't know, but luckily he was awake. Um, we spent some time with him at his friends. One of his friends had just that morning gotten released from prison and still had his prison clothes on and was just trying to like come back onto the street and find his people. So he was kind of sketched out by us in the beginning, but it was also part of the story where these are the people that kind of dip into his life throughout the day. You don't really know who's going to show up to help him, but most of the people around him don't have like a sense of taking advantage of him. They just want to be able to support him. Um, so from there, it was about 530. He had a big mission to charge his phone and he kept wanting to charge his phone all day long. And I guess he had a bunch of phones stolen. So we went to a spot in the Embarcadero Center to charge his phone and just sit by an outlet. 
And I feel like most of the beginning of our day was finding an outlet and sitting. And he'd not often fall asleep because he couldn't really sleep at night because he was worried about getting robbed or getting, you know, assaulted because it's happened to him before. So it was a lot of me just kind of being like shooting a lot. I was shooting so much in the beginning because I was like, you know, adrenaline. You know, I felt like I had to get everything. We also had a big video aspect where we had to catch video and photo. So I was focusing on both. Took a second. I was like, all right, I should chill out because I have 24 straight hours to go and I don't need to like take these many photos right now. And that was a challenge knowing when to take photos and when not to. But the morning, yeah, was pretty accelerated. What were like throughout the day, what were some of the biggest issues for you photographing him and kind of trying to make new and different photos of the same person for 24 hours? So with Shorty, it was harder because he is immobile. He's in his wheelchair all day. So the photos weren't very much. There wasn't a lot of variety in the photos because he wasn't physically doing much other than sitting in his chair and just being in a new spot with his chair. So halfway through the day, I realized like, okay, I need to photograph the periphery of him, not just him straight on in his chair doing what he does because I have so much of that. So it was a lot of trying to just make different photos that could show his life without photographing him directly, which I think is good for photojournalism in general. So I started photographing the people around him. And also I wanted to give him space because I knew 24 hours with one person is a long time. I didn't want to be like on his shoulder all day long because he might get annoyed. So I kind of gave him breaks and I let him go do his thing while I would sit with a different group of homeless people on the Embarcadero because, yes, it was about following him. But I think a bigger part of him is the people he surrounded himself with. Yeah. I mean, so much of what we do, you have to kind of gauge how your subject is feeling and you can't just be in their face all the time. You, After a while, you kind of figure out, OK, they need a break. OK, like I've gotten enough of this kind of shot, so I'm just going to step back. And I think that often helps to come back. And also it helps for them to know, like, OK, she's she's respecting me and she's kind of allowing me to breathe a little bit and not just be like a paparazzi. Definitely. Tell me about some of the safety issues of trying to shoot for 24 hours straight and and not not really know necessarily who could be coming up behind you. Yeah, so I brought I didn't bring a long lens at all. I only brought one lens, which was my 24 to 70 millimeter lens, which is a shorter wide angle lens because I knew I wouldn't be in a situation where I had to be far away from him. Um, I could get close if I needed to, no matter where I was. So I wanted to travel light because I didn't want to be a target. I brought just like a backpack. I kind of blended in, just wore like a jean jacket and a hoodie to sit on the street. And I prepared basically like a camping trip. Like I brought one camera. I brought this little video handheld stabilizer that they wanted me to bring for video clips that I didn't even use. (laughs) But um, I brought a water bottle. I brought a pack of cigarettes just to give people because that was just a thing Kevin kind of told me I should do. He's like, bring a pack of cigarettes to hand out. Like you're just having some downtime. It's good to like get people warmed up to you. Um, So I brought that and it was just kind of like making myself as less conspicuous as possible. Putting my camera away when I wasn't shooting was a big part of it, just because I didn't want to have a camera all day, because that gives you, gives people reason to watch you and kind of follow you and know, like be aware of your camera. And there were so many people that were sitting with him and then would leave and then new people would come by. And, you know, before I would take a camera out or if I saw someone new, I'd be like, hey, this is what we're doing. We're following Shorty around. Do you care if you're in some photos? And that was pretty much my conversation all the time when anyone would come up because I didn't want to just keep shooting him. 
and someone's like, what are you guys doing? You know, I didn't want to cause any any alarm to anybody. Um, and it's also a very vulnerable place where it's like these people that are homeless, they don't ask to be homeless. You know, they are on you know, down on their luck. They have hard times. I don't think it's fair to exploit them and not have the decency to, you know, have a conversation, get consent the way that we do with any other story we do because it's their life and it's their choice to if it, their story wants to be told or not. Um, I didn't want to assume that everyone would just be okay with that because you never, I don't think that's ever okay. So so you just tried to blend in kind of as best as you could and definitely. sort of be invisible. Definitely. I'd sit with them on the street, sit in the grass. I'd go with them if they wanted to like go charge their phone, like even not with Shorty. Like I would kind of just be a person that they could trust as well so that I could hope that I could trust them too. Most people also were not concerned with my camera. Nobody gave me weird looks or said anything weird about my gear they knew what we were doing and at that point we'd spent so much time with them that they they trusted us because they we spent like a week before around They're like, oh you're those newspaper people okay and then just do their daily thing yeah see that's what's so great about being able to take the time and spend the time with people um whereas i got a lot of hecklers like what are you doing um but you know that's just part of the job um so 24 hours, did you fall asleep? Were you getting sleepy? No. Did you take a nap? Were you afraid to miss moments? Um, yeah. What were you thinking when you went into that? And how did it actually turn out? Yeah, a whole week before I was, I couldn't even sleep in general because I was worried about not, you know, sleeping for 24 hours straight. I was like, how am I going to do this? I don't know how to prep my body to do this. I spent the, like three days before waking up super early and going to bed super early to just kind of get my clock there. And then I, you know, getting at least 12 hours a day for three days before helped me a lot, kind of forcing myself to sleep more. And also the adrenaline of knowing I can't fall asleep and I'm going to be out here for 24 hours was enough to keep me awake. I did not sleep at all that day. I think there was like an hour where I just closed my eyes on the grass. But there's so many cars beeping and honking and people talking and you know, people tripping and falling on me. That happened a couple of times when I was trying to nap and I was like, okay, this just isn't going to work. And I'm just not a napper in general. <laughs> wow. Good for you. 24 hours. I don't know if I could do it, but did you feel like you learned more about his life than you did with other subjects by staying with him for so long? I did. I feel like Shorty and specifically, he's a quiet person. He wasn't one to like ramble on or talk you know his life story we had to really coax it out of him in ways to just like through like it took 24 hours to really get his whole story because it would just be little bits and pieces he'd say yeah or no Kevin was asking a lot of questions Kevin was kind of trying to just like learn more about him slowly because he wasn't he was opening up but it was he was a shyer person so if anything I learned what it takes to live on the street for 24 hours in general let alone being disabled is extremely challenging little things I take for granted like charging my phone you know finding water and food going to the bathroom especially with him where he needs someone to push him everywhere and ethically we had we had conversations where we weren't helping him get around because the goal was to document what it actually is like as if we weren't there so we would have he would have to ask people to push him and like we would be completely able to. But we didn't want to interfere in that. And that hurt a lot because I as a general human, I wanted to like help him because he was at that point like a person that I felt close to in a way. So I wanted to 
help him out, but I knew that for the story purposes, like we had to just kind of be flies on the wall. Um, and that was hard to watch, but yeah, that's always difficult. I even have problems when someone drops something and I think, well, should I pick this up for them or don't I, you know? Um, but those are just kind of the decisions we make as we go along. Um, so do you know how many photos you took that day? I think I took like 3000. Wow. And it was a lot of like, I don't know, with photography, especially photojournalism, you're capturing a bunch of moments that hopefully in the end create a narrative of beginning, middle, end, or at least like take you through the day with a variety of photos where like a scene would happen in front of me. Like there was one instance where I overshot it, but I also like feel like it's good to do that. But he was getting wrapped up in a sleeping bag. It was probably like two in the morning at that point, like the last leg of this day. And they were being pushed out by park rangers from the Embarcadero spot because they had to power wash, which happens every night. It's not news. So they were moving along and someone wrapped him up in a big sleeping bag. Um, and I wanted to capture that. I wanted to capture so many parts of it where it was like him being, you know, basically hugged by this friend who was trying to tuck him in was like a sweet, you know, private moment. Him kind of settling into it against the landscape of the ferry building was something I wanted to catch. So I was just kind of circling his chair a lot just to get those different angles and different different perspectives so that in the edit we had options. And that was a big part of it was thinking about the edit and the timestamps for every photo because the goal for this project is to have a timeline and have the specific time and place where you were when you took this photo. And then he was in his sleeping bag and he started yawning. So I was like photographing him yawning and kind of nodding off. And then I knew I shot so many photos, but I knew at the end I would be thankful to have those options. Yeah. And you actually had a little more pressure on you because because you did photograph for so long, whereas most of us photographed during the day. There was more pressure on you to get shots at times when other photographers were, weren't out. Yeah. By like 10 or 11 p.m. on Tuesday... I had seven more hours to work, six more hours to work. And I was like, okay, me and one other photographer guy, way then he was, we were the only people out at that hour, and Nick Otto um, photographing the night shots. So I knew that it was dwindling down to the point of like, there wasn't going to be any supportive photos from other vignettes of this piece. So I did want to capture it all. And the video aspect was stressful a little bit because I wanted to capture like the same moments on photo as video just to have that option. Also, some moments warranted better for video. So, you know, I didn't take the photo and knowing when to do those things, like it takes a lot of experience, I think, from doing it day to day with this job that we have. But it was a lot of pressure. So there's a photo that you have where um, there's a person doing meth off of a lottery ticket. And it's a pretty amazing photo. I'm not sure that it'll get included in the edit. But um can you talk about that, about people doing drugs and how do you just put yourself right up in it? Yeah, it was kind of it was interesting because, like I said, the narrative that we were given was specifically an addicted homeless person. So that was a huge part of the story, capturing the drug use. Um, it happened all day long and the drug of choice was meth. There was also weed smoking, but methamphetamine was the main thing. So I found Shorty with this man who I didn't identify in the photo because he specifically just didn't want photos of him doing drugs. He said he had kids. He had, you know, other things that would implicate him if he did. But he allowed me to photograph his hands. And so kind of that first, and that was nine in the morning on Tuesday. It was the very early in the day. So that initial trust of being like, hey, I'm not going to identify you, but let me, is it okay if I take this? He's like, okay, cool. So the rest of the day, 
He was also a key player in this story with Shorty. He stayed with him the whole 24 hours that we were there. I didn't want to implicate our other photos of him throughout the day by taking one that he wouldn't be comfortable with, you know, being taken. So I I gave him that kind of choice where I was like, okay, I won't photograph this, but drug use happened later in the day and I knew he wasn't comfortable. So I wasn't pressuring him to take more photos because that would have ruined our relationship at that point. Um, and I think that choice was wise in the end, but Shorty was doing, it was probably like 20 to 30 times that whole 24 hours where they were smoking meth. And after a while, he kind of got annoyed with me taking so many photos of it. And I also was like, oh, man, I should just back off because I have enough of this. But as the, being a photojournalist, I'm always like, oh, I could have more. I could have a different angle. I could have a different perspective. And maybe that'll be better than the last. But you kind of have to separate that from just being like a human being. Yeah. <laughs> and knowing when to like, like there'd be times where he would go off and be like, hey, I'll be right back. And I knew what he's doing. He's going to do meth and I wasn't going to push him and be like hey can I come because then he might be like no also leave for good right yes that's also part of the thing is you you want when you spend so much time with someone or you anticipate spending so much time with someone you kind of have to tread lightly because you 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 have that fear of them saying you know what I'm done get out of here and I definitely had that fear in my with my project um it was a mother and daughter who were staying in a sh in a shelter um, and they went and spent time with their sister and they said, sorry, you can't come to our sister's house because she has some landlord issues. And when I met up with them later at the end of the night, she said to me, do you want to come to my sister's tomorrow? <laughs> you know, and so part of treading lightly is like being able to respect people when they say no. And then you kind of even though we didn't need that access the following day, just having them say, hey, you know what? Now you're invited. Yeah, I think that people definitely read the room and can read our intentions, which is a huge part. I kept getting asked all day. It's like, so what's this project? What do you what's the goal? Because with homelessness and journalism, there is a lot of issues with people exploiting, you know, people on the street, photographing people passed out, ODing without getting names or stories. You don't know if that person, you know, how close they are to Everyone, I feel like, is close to homelessness in San Francisco. Everyone has a story of before when they were housed and what put them on the street that could be extremely relevant to everyone that is housed. So I think they wanted to make sure that this narrative wasn't in vain for them because they didn't want to participate. And I think it was really great that they had that mindset in the beginning at all and asking us those hard questions like, so what's the story? Like, what are you trying to get at? We would just continuously be like, we just want to be able to get a real truthful version of what it's like to be homeless in 24 hours basically telling it through you guys through the people that are actually living it and not putting our own narrative in it so with this project the timeline is kind of like a dialogue it's kind of like you, you it's time stamped with different parts of everyone's day and what they actually did as like a painting a picture of that without putting our own information in there with that um so what do you feel like after 24 hours what do you feel like you learned about photographing for that long just being a journalist. Um. I actually, a couple days after that, I had a lot of homelessness related stories. And I feel like I was, I mean, before being a journalist here, photographing encampments did make me nervous because you don't know who's there. You don't know people's intentions. You don't know if you're safe with your gear, if you're safe in general, people are, they have, you know, all these different issues that come from being homeless. You have mental health, you have trauma, there's abuse, there's addiction. 
that doesn't make everything predictable. So I learned a lot about the humanity of everyone on the street where, you know, you walk by a lot of homelessness in San Francisco and you people don't ask questions. They kind of bunch everyone up in one kind of category. But being out there, it's like, I don't know, I got a lot. They kind of adopted me. They were like, hey, if you ever you know, get down your luck, you have a community. They pretty much said they're like, you have people here where everyone's just kind of trying to get by. And I think that the people I spent time with have shown that they benefit from being working together and helping each other out. And that's just in the end, the goal for anyone living on the street is you want to survive it. You want to get next. Anyone that's out there has that hope to be housed, has the hope to continue to wake up every day and get through their life. And I, I learned a lot about just kind of being more sensitive and asking a lot more questions than I was before photographing homelessness. Like, tell me your backstory. Tell me your goals. Tell me, you know, what you think about what needs to be done solving homelessness because they are the actual ones living it. Um, just learning a lot more about treading through these stories and making those connections definitely pays off. Yeah, um, and you you mentioned to me that um, Shorty was actually housed just a few did. days after you spent 24 hours with him. It was amazing to hear that because he was a, definitely a vulnerable population being disabled on the street. And I think there were moves being made to get him housed and he just wasn't attending the meetings that were happening coming to see spots like he just physically couldn't get there some days because no one would push him up the street and that was just all it took to be housed was someone just needs to push him up market to the 10th street you know which seems simple and like why aren't you going to your appointments but you don't really see the background of like what it takes for him to get up 10th to 10th up from market so it was just amazing to hear that he got housed but there were also just so many moments, like one moment that really stuck with me throughout the day was there was, it was like four in the morning and we were just tired. And at that point, me and Kevin almost felt like we were them, you know, we were like, we are in this together, all of us, you know, we are not documenting this anymore. We are living it with them in this point. We were just tired and, you know, we, we got to know them through the day. We felt like they were our friends. And I think they still are. Like I got a real connection. We found these two men sitting on the back of the ferry building pier kind of crouched in a corner in a ball one was in a wheelchair and we talked to them and one of them his name was dale he has brain cancer and he has a tumor and he's given six months to live and it was a sad story and we talked to them about their story but after we talked we kind of walked away but i hung around to take some photos and i remember hearing them talking like just old friends and they're like do you see that do you see the moon it's a full moon tonight and they were just so just appreciating the view and appreciating that where it was just like I was crying the whole time where I was just like all these hardships happen but these people definitely don't have this hopeless dreary feeling about it they definitely have find joy in these small things that I take for granted yeah I think it's nice to hear people who have so little enjoying just you know the, what's what's out there in life just enjoying life and um, being able to appreciate their surroundings. And for me, I definitely went home that night thinking, oh, man, I'm so grateful I I have a bed. You know, I have a pillow. I can just go get a glass of water. Um, what was it like for you when you, you know, after 24 hours, you went home to probably sleep a good amount? Yeah, I feel a lot of guilt with those kind of stories because I am able to go home and have my comfortable life. But I think that I felt good about the story we were able to tell. I felt good about taking the time to tell it for that long. And I knew that, I mean, the goal with journalism, with all of us, is we're telling stories to hopefully promote change 
on, you know, a larger scale for these people that need it. Legislation, you know, getting attention to things that aren't being attended to, money that needs to be allocated to in certain ways that people just don't know the issues that deeply to put it there. I felt fulfilled that I did a part to hopefully promote change in this way. And I think that this project was such a good effort to bringing attention to this and so many aspects of homelessness that I felt good about that. I did find myself driving on the Embarcadero for like five days after looking for them all and just kind of feeling like I missed them in a way. I was just like, I wanted to check in with them. I had a lot of guilt also just kind of diving into their life for 24 hours and not spending more time to get a bigger story, you know? That was just kind of the the structure of this piece, but that was my feeling is like, I definitely want to continue this work. I want to continue highlighting these stories. Um, I want to continue bringing attention to these real, you know, life problems that people have to deal with. And, you know, I think it's a great effort to to be able to do that. So do you think you'll follow Shorty again? Are you in touch with him still? Yeah, we've definitely looked. I mean, now he's housed, so it's harder to find him on the street. I've been working with Kevin to kind of keep in contact so that we can do a follow-up of see his house, you know, see what his life has been like since. Any issues or problems he's had or, you know, accomplishments he's had through there would be great. So definitely want to follow up with him there. Great. Well, thank you, Jessica. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks so much. Thanks to photographers Gabrielle Lurie and Jessica Christian for joining us, to Libby Coleman for producing this episode, and thank you for listening. This episode was a part of the SF Homeless Project. For all of our coverage, go to sfchronicle.com homelessness. Fifth and Mission is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. If you like this show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've got a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing. You can support Fifth and Mission and the newsroom that creates it with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.